Thank you. Have a seat, please. All right. Good to be here. This is my first time in Salt Lake City. I mean, I've been, I'm in the airport like four or five times a month, but here amongst the people, um, this is my first um, time. We got to, uh, we went up to the mountains yesterday. Uh, that was pretty dope. You guys live in a beautiful place and um, you're very lucky. My wife has been bugging me to go to Park City, is that what it's called? So I'm going to have to do that. Anyhow, okay, um, this is amazing. So there's even more people here. Than the first service, was, there was too many people in the first service, and there's too many people in the second service. You guys need to do something about that. I was telling the first service that <laughs> if you're going to be a part of a great church, you need to get used to being uncomfortable um, because that, if you're a part of a great church, a lot of people are going to want to come. That's a good thing right? Um, but it'll be uncomfortable because it'll feel like it's always, um, um, it's like living in New York City. I lived in New York City for eight years, and New York City is annoying because there's always construction. Always. It, it, it's, it's a city of perpetual construction. You should name your church that, you know, first church of perpetual construction. Um, but it's kind of Catholic sounding. It's kind of fun, so. Right? If you know, like, that, that's the whole goal, that, man, people keep on, the Lord keeps bringing people home. People keep on finding um, faith and finding relationships and getting discipled and getting, you know, becoming part of the church. And, and that's going to be a problem um, in the best way possible. Okay, let's pray, and then we're going to get into this. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're here. Um, God, we want to hear from you today. And we believe that the scriptures are your word. The scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we ask you that you'd speak to us uniquely, profoundly, um, as we read the scriptures and understand what you are trying to say through the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so uh, I'm married to Jasmine. Jasmine is Australian, um, which means she speaks English with a speech impediment. <laughs> Um, and I'm Canadian. My dad is a pastor. Yeah, eh, exactly. And my dad is a pastor in um, Ontario on the East Coast. And so we've been married now for eight years. And uh, studies say that or show the data kind of, it's really the data is, is, is uh, pretty accurate. That it's about year seven is the is the average year that people get divorced. Okay, we're, year, we're in year eight right now. So we've made it a year past the average. Uh, yes. Um, so we are, um, um, Tim Keller, who's a, he's a pastor in, in New York City, and he believes that the reason why people divorce in year seven is because you, people can no longer control the other partner. They can no longer, you know, because... Human beings, we love to manipulate, and what we tend to do is we tend to project onto our partner the idealized spouse. You know, oh, they're like this, and they're like this, and then seven years, you find out that they're not like that at all. 
You know, like for seven years, she's been making you spaghetti, and you're like, I don't like that spaghetti, I don't like that spaghetti, I don't like that spaghetti. I don't, in year seven, it's like, I don't like that spaghetti. You know, and she's like, Who are you? I would never marry a man who didn't like my Nona's recipe, right? And he's like, Well, I've been saying it for seven years, you know. And vice versa, we, we, we project onto each other. And finally, we can't control this person anymore. And because we can't control them, um, and they're not who we thought we married, uh, then a lot of people walk away. Um, and so we're in year eight, where it's like we're getting to know each other all over again. You know, one of the things we keep on saying is like, who are you? <laughs> you know, you, this is not my wife, <laughs> you know. Um, and I'm finding out who Jasmine is right now. And she's finding out who I am because dating is lies. Right. <laughs> um, so, so that's what we're doing, and, and we're committed to each other, and so that means that we have to find out about each other. And the way that you find out about each other is you listen, okay, and you have to allow that person to self-define. Hello, right? Like you don't project onto them. Um, you allow that person to say who they are and what they like. And you have to ask that question and just deal with the results, however um, fortunate you know, they are or not. Um, and, and in a relationship, you, um, you, you, you find out, you ask them who they are and what they like, and then, and then this is crazy for you single people, you do what they like. Right? So, so I find out what Jasmine likes. I allow her to self-define. She tells me what she likes. And then I do what she likes. And if you can do that in a marriage, you're winning. And it sounds, some of you are like, that's easy. Yeah, in theory it is. But problematically, I don't want to love Jasmine the way that she wants to be loved. I want to love her the way that I want to be loved. And so it's so much untraining and retraining and that's what's happening. So we're in year eight, and I'm getting to know her all over again. And I'm asking questions like, you know, who are you? And I'm trying to pay attention to things like that she eats, you know, to, to know Jazzy. She, she rolls her eyes when she loves something. So, you know, she rolls her eyes when she eats sushi, you know. Like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, she rolls her eyes when she eats avocado toast. She loves avocado toast. Um, I'm a Canadian. Um, we don't do avocado toast. <laughs> in Canada, um, you go to a truck stop or you know, a, a diner or whatever, and you eat, order breakfast, and you get three different types of ham, you know, bacon, back bacon, sausage links, pork links. And you get beans, and you get uh, eggs and, and mushrooms, and you eat all the good stuff, and then you wipe your face with the toast. <laughs> And you throw it on the ground because it's trash. <laughs> but in Australia, avocado toast is like, it's an entree. It's the, the main course. In, in, in Canada, it's an aside. And so I would never think of loving my wife with trash. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but that's what she likes. And my role as a husband is to get to know her. Right? I'm in a relationship with her. In a relationship, you, you allow the person to self-define. You allow them to have preferences. Would you agree with me that it's perfectly reasonable that people have preferences? It is what it is, right? Jasmine has preferences. I love Jasmine. I want to find out her, what her preferences are and give her the avocado toast. 
God is not a vibe. God is not an impersonal cosmic force that I can manipulate and project onto and define. God is a person with preferences. And I'm in a relationship with him. Have you ever heard somebody talk about like relationship versus religion? You know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Okay, sure, let, let's go there. That doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want. That's how I feel people tend to talk about the religion versus relationship thing. You know, it's like, I'm in a relationship with God, so, you know, <laughs> buckle up, Lord and Savior, I'm driving. <laughs> You know what I mean? We're doing what I want to do every day. Right? No, that's not how a relationship works, bro. I've been in a relationship for eight years, my guy. You know what I'm saying? I'll take a religion over a relationship any day. Relationships are work. I can't manipulate that. It doesn't work after some time. You hearing me? No, in a relationship, you have to be unselfish for that thing to work. Find out who they are. God is a person. He has preferences. Christian worship is just finding out what God likes and giving him the avocado toast. That's what it is. And that's what we're going to talk about today. All right? All right, if you're taking notes, um, this talk is called Yad, Y-A-D, with Kabod, K-A-B-O-D. Two Hebrew terms that you're probably unfamiliar with, and that's okay. We're going to talk about them. Let's take a look at our first scripture. Um, I believe it's in Psalm 141. There it is. Okay. This is David talking. He is on the run for his life. He wants to be in Jerusalem near the tabernacle, but he's not able to because he's on the run for his life. And so he says, Lord, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And he's kind of praying through the tabernacle furniture because the Ark of the Covenant is there at the tabernacle. And so the Ark of the Covenant, you guys remember the Ark of the Covenant? It's like this golden box. It's God's throne room. It's his box. Um, It's overlaid with gold. And it's in the Holy of Holies. And there's this curtain. Uh, God has like a green room in the tabernacle. Nobody's allowed in it. And there's a curtain, and on the other side of that curtain, there's a table with a lampstand, and incense was, going, was to be burnt perpetually by the priests. And David is going, God, can, can I, I know that I'm out here in the wilderness, and I can't be at the tabernacle where you are, but could my prayer be counted as incense before you? That incense that's right outside of your green room, right on the other side, listening, dwelling, close to you. And of course, David is praying in the spirit. This is what Jesus says by the spirit. He prays. And um, so he's writing in the spirit and it's prophetic because we see in the book of Revelation that the prayers of the saints are in fact incense coming before the throne of God. Every time you pray, it's incense before the throne of God. And um, so an incredible passage. And then he, he, he continues and he says, and Lord, um, the lifting up of my hands could, could, could my hands be like the evening sacrifice? As in, the sacrifices are the things that you have said that you prefer. So you're saying, 
hey, I want you to be in this relationship. And there are some things that I, this is the avocado toast, bring in the sacrifice. I'd like, you know, bring a sheep, bring, a, bring something just to show me that you're in this thing. You know what I'm saying? So God tells him the avocado toast and he's like, I want to bring it. But the problem is I'm not at the tabernacle. I'm out here in the wilderness. So could my hands be like the evening sacrifice that pleases your heart that you love? And God is going, yes. I love hands. Isn't that cool? The Hebrew word for hand is yod. Okay, so point number one. I got three points because every preacher has three things to say. Okay, point number one. God loves yod. The Hebrew word for hand is yod. Yod. If you have a hand, would you just do a, this is going to be a fun little audience participation moment. If you have a hand, just show me your hand just like that. Now hold it up there just for a second. And then I want you to just wave your hand like that. Hi, how are you? Okay, that's good. So the Hebrew word for hand is yod. And the Hebrew word for, for praise is yod, yada. Yada just means to wave the hand. You just yadad. The English transliteration of yada is Judah. It's, it's a name that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a proper na- name, but it literally means praise. So for the Hebrew, praise always involved the hand, right? Okay. Um, now, this is like a, this Old Testament scripture that we just read in Psalm 141, somehow in that Old Covenant, God's saying, yes, I love hands. So, right, like this, that's in the Old Covenant. David has this revelation by the Spirit that God loves hands. God reveals that, that, that thing about himself. In the, in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see this in a second, in Hebrews chapter 13. Now, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians that are thinking about leaving Jesus because of the intense socioeconomic political pressure that they're going under, right? It costs them a lot uh, to become a Christian. And so the book of Hebrews is written as a polemic against the arguments against Christianity. Like, you know, Moses is better. Uh, the law was delivered by angels. The, you know, you get, y'all don't even have a priesthood. We have an actual priesthood. They have fancy robes. You know, like we have a temple, da 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 And so the author of Hebrews just keeps on taking down one after another. No, Jesus' priesthood is a, Mel- Mel- it's, it's a better priesthood, right? Uh, Jesus is um, it's just better, 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 okay? So uh, it's a better covenant. And so then the, this back half of the book of Hebrews starts to tell the, the, the Jewish Christians, hey, you can still like offer things to God. This is how you can worship. So you might feel like, oh, I can't bring a lamb to temple, you know, because that's really what worship is. Well, there's better offerings. And in fact, there's Old Testament precedent for them. Okay, so watch this. Through Jesus, contextually in this, in this, in this, this passage, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Most scholars believe that, the, that Hebrews was written in, in, in Hebrew first, actually. Um, the church fathers uh, attest to this. And then it was translated into Greek. So that would have, that would have read a sacrifice of yada. Now, where, where does sacrifice of praise come from? Psalm 141. Right? That's like that, that concept. It's just copy and pasted by the author of the book of Hebrews and dropped right into here. Right? And as in, he, he's saying, hey, guys, we, we have biblical context for this. God loves hands. We saw that in Psalm 141. So give that to the Lord. You don't, forget the sheep. Bring your hands. You hearing me? It please, it's like the evening sacrifice. Okay? Um, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So this is the sacrifice of Yada, right? 
Um, and of course, we see in Psalm 141, we, we got the prayer connect with the hands, right? Um, and then, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices, hello, are pleasing to God. There's that troublesome S word. <laughs> sacrifices. Okay, so let's deal with that term theologically for a moment. A New Testament Christian doesn't sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin. It was, it's a once and for all, unrepeatable sacrifice on Calvary, right, on the cross. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin, right? Like Jesus bore in his body our sins, right? And those sins were nailed to the cross. The writings against you were nailed to the cross in the body of Jesus Christ, and by faith, everybody who believes that Jesus is who he says he is, essentially. Yeah. Romans chapter 10, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. You'll be saved. What we're doing when we're believing is we're receiving that sacrifice. We're appropriating that sacrifice by faith. Okay? So as a New Testament believer, I don't sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. I sacrifice from the forgiveness of sin because I'm in a relationship with God but ultimately, because I'm a priest. I am a priest. And it's my job to bring sacrifices. I've received a ministry. I've received, I've re I, I didn't just like get saved and I got my fire insurance and I'm not going to hell. God saved me and now he's repurposed me. He goes, Nate, that's sweet, that's awesome. Now I got a job for you to do. Sweet, Lord, I love jobs. Okay, well, you're going to love this one. It's called being a priest. Okay, check this out. 1 Peter 2.5. 1 Peter 2.5. Um, Peter's saying, you yourselves, this is written to the New Testament church, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So that's what's going on. Why do we gather? We gather because uh, at home in our underwear on the couch, we are a rolling stone. But with our clothes on, gathered as a church on a Sunday morning, we're living stones. And we're being built up as a spiritual house. I'm a, that's why we gather, because I'm a, we're a spiritual house. There's something fulfilled in my calling when I'm gathered. Right? Now, as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, as in I'm fulfilling my role as a priest as I'm gathered. Because there's some work for me to do. In the spiritual house. What does a priest do? What's their job? Number one, minister to the Lord. Number two, minister to others. You know the primary role of a church? Like why does a church exist? Number one, minister to the Lord. Number two, minister to others or equip the saints. Number three, reach the world. But not in the, in the reversed order. The, the first role of the church is to worship God. Do you remember a guy named Judas who had money problems? He's, he's recorded com complaining about one thing, worship. Oh, that's costly worship. You know, oh, don't do that. We could, like, give the money to the poor. I mean, he was stealing from the, you know, the, the campaign finances. Right. It's hilarious that Jesus put him in charge of that. Right. Don't waste that money on Jesus, on worship. You know, do, do 
good with it. No, um, nothing's wasted when it's put at the feet of Jesus. We, we build buildings to worship Jesus, and it's not wasted on him. Because that's why we, I live to worship. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to worship God and to, and to enjoy him forever. I, I, I was made to worship God. So not only am I fulfilling my purpose as a human being, but I'm fulfilling my purpose as a priest when I come to church and minister to the Lord. You hear me? It's why we gather. It's the first reason why we gather. A priest gathers to minister to the Lord and to minister to others. And paradoxically, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And I am refreshed as I'm giving to the Lord and I'm giving to other people. Somehow, once again, paradoxically, I'm receiving. But I'm not here for me. I'm here for God. And I'm here for others because I'm a priest when I show up to church. The problem is when, this is what happens when the culture leaks into the church and ultimately it leaks into our theology. Is a church is supposed to be full of priests, but now we have gatherings full of consumers. Everywhere else, I'm a consumer. Not necessarily a problem. Probably a good thing. Right? Like, you should vote with your dollars. I think that's a good idea. You have a great experience somewhere. The staff are kind. The service is great. Yeah, I'm coming back. You know what I'm saying? That's a, that's a good thing. Everywhere we go, we're a consumer, right? Problematically, though, we bring our Yelp review app and our consumeristic attitude and posture into church on Sunday mornings. And we come not as a priest, but as a consumer. You know, oh, they didn't sing my favorite song, Good, Good Father, Two Stars. (laughs) Right? I don't like the color of this building, one star. And my seat's not very comfortable. There's too many people in here. Zero stars, right? Like, who is this freak sharing this morning? Where's Pastor Jason? You know, like, <laughs> negative stars. You hearing me? When really, God, the posture that we're supposed to take is, God, I am on duty today, and I'm here to minister to you. God, I've brought my money, I've given my time, I've brought my hands because I found out that you like them because I'm in a relationship with you and I've been listening and I've been showing interest and finding out what you like and I want to give you the avocado toast. I want to show you that I'm in this relationship. Right? This is not the worship team. You are the worship team. Now, yeah, they killed it. They killed it. The band was on fuego today. Okay? But they're just facilitating your job as a priest. And sometimes it's really hard for them. Because you came as a consumer. You know, it's all about me. You know, you're just critiquing, just yelping. Hey, I think we're all guilty of this at some point, including myself. And I've got to remind myself, no, 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 no. No, God, I'm here for you. Father, I'm here for you, so Lord, forgive me of that. And you know what? Sometimes things need to get better, and it's okay. 
You know, nobody became a, a food critic because they hate food. You know what I mean? I'm a church critic. I love church. I love it. And I want it to be better. And don't we all? But sometimes we, can, we, we get into that consumeristic mode, and that's something else. Right. We used to sing this song, this horrible song. Uh, I, um, I was born in 1982. And so all the, the songs sort of had like a happy, clappy Jewish vibe to them in the 80s. Um, and so we sang this song. If you know it, you can sing along with me. It goes like this. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house hey, of the Lord. This is the best part. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we don't sing that anymore. Sometimes you just need to take old yeller out behind the barn. Put two in him. It was a bad song then, and it's a bad song now. But the theology is so good. It's a whole church singing a Bible verse. That's good. So we knew the Bible. And then we were singing about what we were doing as a church that day. We're literally singing our job. You know, we knew what we were doing. God, we're here, and we're, we're priests. We're bringing the sacrifice of praise to the house of the Lord. Because that's where you bring the sacrifice of praise, to the house. As we saw in 1 Peter 2, right? We're a spiritual house. I bring it to the Lord. All right, let's keep moving. Let's move to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. This is another Psalm of David. And David's warming up, and he's ready to worship the Lord. And so he says, my heart is steadfast. Oh, God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. And then he says this really strange thing. He says, awake my glory. So he's like talking to God. He's like, I'm going to worship you. And he looks at himself, and he's like, you, wake up. <laughs> you hearing me? And then he defines what his glory is. He says, awake, O oh harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. So he's going, God, I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to worship you with something that's awesome about me. Mm, that's so good. Isn't that cool? That's so good. God, I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to worship you with like the best of me. Yeah. I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to worship you with something weighty and awesome and wonderful, something that you've given me. Because anything wonderful that you have is just from God. And you're just really returning it. You hearing me? So God, this incredible craft that you've given me, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to worship you without the highest flower of my being. I'm going to awaken my awesomeness. Isn't that cool? The Hebrew word that we translate in English as glory is kabod. Kabod. In Hebrew, it means more like weight. And it's a multifaceted word. Your weight, your kabod, your weight is like, let's say we're at a party. Jason's having a party. And you walk in. I don't know you. And so I lean over to Jason. I'm like, who's that? 
And so Jason's like, that's so-and-so, and they are amazing at this job, and they're just an incredible leader in our church, and da-da-da-da. They start talking about you, it's, and that's your, it's your, your kabod your, is what you bring to a room, okay? It's why somebody would call you on the phone and ask you for help. Hey, I really need your input because you're good at this. This is what, this is like, so you're born to do this. You're brilliant at this. This is your lane. It's why somebody would text you, hey, I really need your, like, please come over and, you know, give me some advice, give me some strategy. That's your kabod. Your kabod is also um, your dialed inness and your spark and your, you being there or turned up. Um, I was in, I, I was on staff at a church in New York for years and uh, we were having a staff Christmas party. There was a girl who was, her kabod in the office was administration, okay? And, but not like the kind of person that looked like they could dance. I mean that as politely as I possibly could. You know what I mean? Just she looked administrative. And you know what? That's awesome for a team that is very unadministrative, right? So, so she's killing it. She's killing it. And it's our staff Christmas party, though. We're out. We're out. Staff Christmas party. It's in New York City. We're going wild, right? And so her song comes on, right? So she gets up and she starts dancing. It was the ugliest thing. <laughs> but the most beautiful thing that I'd ever seen. Have you ever been at like a basketball game and like, like there's, a, there's a commercial break and so then the, the cameras start, they start playing YMCA and the cameras start going to people who are dancing. It's usually kids, you know, but then you'll get like an oddball who's drank too much. <laughs> You know, and he's just going for it, right? And it's terrifying and wonderful. <laughs> That's kabod. Kabod, you don't necessarily need to be good, but when you are turned up, it's, there's something powerful about yeah. you being present. Yeah. You hear me? <laughs> One of the ways that I love my wife is by listening to her psychotic dreams. Right, so like listening is, is part of, is kabod, right, presentness, right? It's the, one of the reasons why my wife fell in love with me, man, my, that first date. Remember when you're just dialed in, hanging off of every, you know what I mean? Don't want to miss a thing, <laughs> right? Even when I dream of you. <laughs> so... She'll, she, she always has these dreams all the time. And so I'll be like, I know, and I know she always wants to tell me about them. So we'll be driving. I'll be like, hey, babe, you know, tell me about your dream last night. And she'll be like, she's Australian. So she'll be like, yeah, I was in Jurassic Park and there was a velociraptor chasing me. And, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, what happened next? You know, <laughs> showing interest, you know, being present. And then a Tyrannosaurus Rex came in and he started to chase us. And it was so scary. You know, and I'll be like, uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, like. And my wife will be like, Nathan, where are you? Right? <laughs> God is like a woman. He knows when you're not there.
Our point number one was God loves Yod. Right? He loves hands. And so we give him hands. We give him what he likes. We don't lift our hands because we saw it, you know, at a sporting event. And we're like, that would be great to incorporate that in Christian worship. No, what we, we, we're very purposeful here. Everything we do, there's no throwaways here. We sing because God loves singing. We shout because the Bible says to shout to the Lord. Right? Like, we lift our hands because it's his avocado toast. He loves it. Right? right? We, once again, we're not having, this is not Christian karaoke. As wonderful as that might be. We are giving you an opportunity to worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped. That's why we have music and lifting of hands and singing and all that good stuff. You hear me? God loves Yod, number one. But God wants, number two, God wants Yod with Kabad. Sometimes there is a divorce between our Yod and our Kabad. So it's like we'll be giving God hands, but there's nothing behind that hand. Right? Maybe your kabod is, you know, you're, you're, you are entrepreneurial, you know how to make money. And so you're like, yeah, I can give God hands, but, in, but God doesn't get any of your kabod because your money represents your skill set, the glory that God gave you. It's your weight. It's what you're really good at. It represents your time and your efforts and your dialed inness. That's what money is, right? Like it's, it represents, it's why you are remunerated. Because you're awesome. Right? And so when we give money, we're giving God our awesomeness. It's a token that represents our awesomeness and our hard work. And you hearing me? And so it's like, yeah, God, I'll give you hands, but you can't touch my money. Well, that's not how relationships work. My wife and I have joint bank accounts. My wife has access to every part of me. And she has to. That's how relationships work. Hello. <laughs> Maybe your kabod is your articulate, and you're able to really, you just have an incredible command of, of language, and you're generous, and you're kind, and, and maybe if I said, hey, this person is really going through it, I give you a pen and paper, you could just encourage, you know, hell out of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, because it's just a, it's a spiritual gift of yours. But then in worship or in prayer, it's like you're drawing blanks. And God's going, give me that. I want that. Be articulate to me. Bless me. The Psalms say, give unto the Lord, O you mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord glory, do his name. He's a king. He's worthy of it. And any glory that you have, it's all from him anyways. And ultimately, at the end of the day, Romans chapter 12, give your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your logic and literate, your reasonable, your logical response of worship in light of everything that God has done for you. Okay, point number three, and then we're done. When you, give, when you give God Yod with Kabod, you get God with Kabod. God has a glory. God has a weight. God can turn up. 
Check this out, James chapter 4. This is in the New Testament. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You show up with the avocado toast, and you're dialed in. God's dialed in. I'm convinced that there's so many Christians who have never experienced the glory of God. Because you're just mailing it in. And Christian worship is not mailing it in. Christian worship is going, God, I'm paying attention. Now, the great thing about being in a relationship with God, and to be honest with you, human relationships, because my marriage is the same way. My marriage is continual repentance. I mean, it never stops. Hello. Right? I'm driving down the road, and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she's like, idiot. And I'm like, I'm back. <laughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Nathan's back. Right? And she starts telling me the rest of her dinosaur story. And she's like, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry, babe. I'm back. That's Christian worship. God, I'm, I'm back. Lord, I'm back. I'm back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. And I'm sorry for the things that I've made it. Oh, I, was, I was in a moment. It was all about me. In James, it's fascinating. He begins to get into the Yad and Kavad language. You know, um, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. How do you cleanse your hands? What is given is sanctified. How do you cleanse your heart? What is given is sanctified. God, my hands have been like all about me. It's my money, my life, my job, my time, church, and God has just been peripheral. But no, I'm going to be about my father's business now. And the kingdom is going to be a priority in my life. And so, Lord, I'm giving you the work of my hands. And God, my heart and you know, my obsession and, you know, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And we're going to go down to Arizona and we're going to just put, put around on the greens. And that's just going to be the rest of my life. No, God, kingdom purposes, like my... That, that is going to be the heartbeat of my life. I don't have much time on this earth, but whatever time I do have left, they will be kingdom purposes. I'm going to begin to prioritize you and yours. God, your presence and your people. That zeal for your house has consumed me. You hear me? Now, this is, this is the cool part. There's this principle in the Old Testament. Don't have time to get into it, because we're done. We're Dunzel, Washington. The principle is this. You look through every single sacrifice in the Old Testament, the ones where people mail it in, God doesn't show up. He's just faithful to not show up when he's like, yeah, oh, oh you don't, okay, fine. Yeah. And when people like just do what they've been asked to do, he always shows up every time. The principle is this, every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine, would you say that with me? Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. That's amazing. See, now I get excited when I get to lift my hands in church now. Because that's one of the sacrifices that blesses his heart. It's his avocado toast. I get to give it to him. That's so awesome. 
and when I get to give my money, and I get to give of my time, when I get to be about Father's business, every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. You mean that when I'm doing this stuff, God is responding from heaven? Yes. Fire is coming on that altar if you will build it. If you will build that altar, you'll go, God, I will give. I'm building an altar. God, I will lift my hands. I'm building an altar. God, I will worship. I'm building an altar. God, I'm showing up to church. I'm building an altar. I'm a priest. I'm building an altar. I'm giving of my life. Fire will come on that altar. I don't know where the fire is coming. God, I don't know when the fire is coming, but I know that the fire is coming on the altar because every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. And God, I need you. I need your presence. I need your fire in my life. God, I don't want to go through life and not know you, not experience you, never have your glory in my life. No, God, I'm needy. I need you in my life. I need you in my family's life. I need you in this city. We need you in this church. God, show up and be God. Let your glory fill this temple. Let your glory fill this house. That's why we worship. That's why we worship. God will show up if you will show up. He will show up if you will show up. You can worship with that confidence today. That's why we do what we do. Look, we all have places in our life where we need to repent. All of us need to you know, bathe them back. All of us. God, you know, and the great thing about God, he's so much more merciful than my wife. I'll just say that. She is merciful also. She's, right, she's awesome. You know, if I just, once again, if I just show her that I'm in it, she, okay, right? And that's, I'm, babe, I'm back. Well, God is the most merciful person ever. And he's not looking for perfection in my worship. He's just looking for a pulse. You know, so when we come back and I go, God, I'm back. I haven't been faithful in my giving. I haven't been faithful in my attendance. I've been a consumer. It's been stinking. It's been all about me. I've had the worst attitude ever. And God, I repent. And I'm asking you that your Holy Spirit comes and does some things in my life so that I become a worshiper that experiences your glory. When, when, when we take that posture, you know, you, you just step up a little bit. God runs to you. So I give you permission today to repent. <laughs> I give you permission. Repentance is the best thing ever. It means that you get to change and ultimately experience more of God. That's amazing. So I give you permission in the places in your heart where you've, <laughs> you've locked those places. No, you're not allowed in here. You're not allowed in here to just go, God, I'm giving you the key today. And, you know, I'm going to need your work because maybe I'm... Maybe there's some insecurity. Maybe there's some, maybe I'm angry at you. Maybe there's some frustration. And you need to set me free, God. You need to bring some healing and work some healing in my heart because I'm angry at you. I'm hurt at life. There's, I've closed up because of some things. Well, the Spirit of the Lord is here today to set you free, to be a worshiper. 